Welcome to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We believe that Jesus is needed and relevant for people in Vancouver today. The message of God's love and promise of wholeness was destined to be experienced within a faith community that worships, studies scripture, and prays together. We warmly welcome you to journey with us towards greater connection, purpose, and peace. We'll be sharing our recorded services and conversations with health and wellness experts. Enjoy. You know, uh, amid Vancouver's smoke-choked skies, uh, I didn't know what was um, happening for me this morning. I kept taking off my glasses and kept trying to clean them. And um, we're going to put up an image of what Vancouver looks like. Well, what it looked like yesterday, it actually looked much worse this morning. And so as I took the dog out for a walk, I thought, what is wrong with my glasses? I can't get them clean. And it's just um, how heavy and how thick the smoke is in Vancouver this week due to all the West Coast fires. But um, that's not the only thing that we were facing this week. We have smoke-choked skies. We have a resurgence of COVID cases. Thankfully, the hospitalization rate isn't increasing as uh, dramatically as the positive case rate. But I'm wondering if you're aware, because I know we have uh, an online church community that's spread out around BC and the world, that um, right here in Metro Vancouver, we're experiencing another kind of outbreak. I wonder if you have noticed a few more moths around your house, in your places of work, out on the street, in your garden, more moths than usual. Yes, we are experiencing an outbreak of the looper moth, actually two native species, the western hemlock looper and the phantom looper moth. And I've certainly noticed it here at the church in every windowsill. There are more moths um, at home in my courtyard. There are more moths around the entry doors. They are in my porch and my balcony, uh, especially in the evening. Uh, Vancouver is awesome, which is uh, a true saying, but also a reporting agency in a newspaper. Vancouver is awesome, has dubbed this the Mothpocalypse, and other people are calling it uh, Mothmageddon. But really, what we're experiencing here is a noticeable increase in the volume of moths. Um, For my friend who might be watching Pastor Charles Aguilar in Uganda, this is nothing to the level of the locust plague that he was dealing with earlier this year. But it's it's something of notice, and um, clearly Vancouver has a bit of a flair for the dramatic in what we like to report and describe our privileged uh, situation. So all of these factors, you know, uh, record-breaking wildfires, uh, um, explosion of this um, kind of pestilence species, not just here but around the world, and clearly COVID as a global pandemic the likes we haven't seen in over 100 years, is going to lead people to ask the question, is this how it ends? Is this how we die? Not by moth swarm, but are these uh, cumulative indicators and circumstances, are these cumulative cumulative plights um, an indication that we are living in the end of days? 
Well, I would encourage you and invite you to uh, talk to a senior citizen, uh, anyone who might be over the age of 70, and I'm sure that they will admit, yes, these calamities do seem like they are heralding the end of times, but there have been devastating events in the past, within their lifetime, within their memories, and they know that those plagues and those signs have come to pass. If you study Christian prophecy, biblical prophecy, or even uh, the prophecies that is found in Jewish literature, you see that the advent or coming of the Messiah is described in, in both Greek and Hebrew with these terms, with these vocabulary as birth pangs, as uh, a process of labor and delivery. So as we um, interview or talk to or uh, confer with any mom who's gone through labor and delivery, we know that those contractions, the pain before the delivery, before the arrival of that baby, are going to increase in both frequency as the contractions get closer and closer and intensity. Any doula, any midwife, any uh, birthing nurse is going to coach the mom. Yep, that one is tough. You got through it. But brace yourself. Take a breath because it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Prepare for the next impact. So we have this indication that, yes, the time of the end is approaching. Um, but there's a couple of reasons why I tend not to be an alarmist preacher. Revelation 6, 7 to 8 says, When the Lamb opens the fourth seal, John hears the voice of the living creatures beckoning him to come. And he looks and sees a pale horse, its rider named Death with Hades following close behind. And it was given the power over a fourth of the earth that was killed by sword, famine, and plague, and wild beasts. So here we have a prophecy in which one quarter of the world's population is devastated or destroyed. Currently, we have a global population um, in the billions. So it would require the loss of 4.5 billion people for this prophecy to be um, marked as a literal true event. Currently, even with COVID, we're on track to lose about 60 million people on the earth every year. And that's due to famines, plagues, uh, diseases, accidents, and old age. You know, if we look to Jesus' teaching on the end times, which um, if you want to study and focus on Jesus' words alone, look at Luke chapter 21 and uh, Matthew 24. He speaks about natural events, natural disasters, as creation groaning. You know, this earth cannot hold out, cannot sustain the the devastation, the disease, the havoc that um, is coming its way. It is literally 
um, sort of decomposing or coming to the end of its lifespan. Creation will sustain so many abuses that it will not be able to recover. And so we see right now, whether we ascribe it to climate change or pollution or human activity or natural processes, we see that creation is groaning, that this earth seems far worse off today than it did uh, decades or centuries ago. And so Jesus says, you know, pay attention. Yes, pay attention to these natural disasters. But there is something that concerns him more when he warns us of the end times. If you want to turn with me to Matthew um, 24, we are going to check in there to Matthew 24. Oh, I forgot. I wanted to lighten the mood because it was so uh, dark and depressing, the start of my message, that I have a little bit of a trivia question. Before we go to Matthew 24, here's some Bible trivia for you. What is the largest moth mentioned in the Bible? We're worried about our infestation and swarm of, of looper moths, but do you know what the largest moth mentioned in the Bible is? Anyone want to hazard a guess? Moths don't get a lot of mention, a lot of talk um, in scripture. But uh, let me see if any of you hazarded guests uh, on live on social media on Facebook. I don't think anyone's got it yet. The largest moth mentioned in the Bible is found in Job 40, verse 15. It's the behemoth. Oh, some of you are like groaning at this pun. Uh, anyway, so just a little bit of moth humor uh, to, to kind of counterbalance what might seem like a bit of a heavier message. Okay, let's see what uh, Jesus is saying in Matthew 24 here about the end of days. He says, yes, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places, but all of this is the beginning of birth pains. At that time... This is what, what I want you to hone in on. At that time, the end of days, just before he returns, many will turn away from their faith and will betray and hate each other. He goes on to speak of how wickedness will increase and the love of many will grow cold. Betrayal, wickedness... <laughs> These are the things that Jesus is most concerned about as an indicator or a sign of the time or a sign of the end. You know, every time that there is a major war or a pestilence or a plague, people tend to um, take to the streets. They tend to preach and proclaim uh, the end of time is near and they might bury themselves in a study of prophecy and the question, what do these signs mean? But I feel like we shouldn't devote so much time to figuring out the chronology, figuring out the predictions, because Jesus himself said no one knows the day or hour. But instead, Jesus is priming us to prepare for the end of times, warning us that betrayal and hatred and the love of many will run cold. I think he's priming us to be prepared to guard our hearts against that, to be prepared with compassion for those who are going to suffer. Because in the wake of these famines, diseases, and pestilences, many people will be broken. Many people will experience loss. And that's when it's evident that the love of many will 
grow cold, when people will say everyone for themselves and will um, neglect a sacrificial generosity and support for their neighbor, will neglect to be um, good neighbors and good Samaritans, instead um, just fending for themselves. So I think he's priming us to prepare for the end of times in practicing radical compassion and care for those who are about to suffer. It's more of... Um, an instruction for what he's expecting of his children than it is um, a warning of what we're going to suffer and what we're going to struggle with. Did you know that only 20% of the book of Revelation is addressing God's judgment? The majority of the book of Revelation talks about God's feelings, God's care for the people who are tragically gripped in sin, tragically deceived by Satan, and a calling, a commissioning, uh, and a, a purpose in that vision that he's giving us about what we should understand and what we should do with this eschatology or end time teachings is that we have to keep our eyes fixed and focused on Jesus as we prepare for the end. We have to know that we will need to trust in God above all else, that every other security blanket is going to dissolve, is going to fail us. The economy, the government, the social structures, even your friends and closest family members may betray you. So to be trusting on God so that you can reflect his heart of love and compassion, even in those dark times, to those who are suffering worse than you. It is um, not only a warning of this doomsday of the end of times, but it's a promise of deliverance. It's a promise that provision for us to endure is going to be in, offered by the hands of God. You know, earlier um, in Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have a teaching of Jesus called sometimes the best sermon ever. It's also known as the teaching on the mount, and it begins with the Beatitudes, which is a blessing upon the people, a blessing upon those who are the have-nots and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. And following the Beatitudes, he leaves us with um, this nugget of wisdom in Matthew 6, 19 to 21, he says, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Moths in rust can destroy them. Thieves can steal them. Instead, store up for yourself the treasures of heaven. For where your heart will be, your heart will be where your treasure is. For those um, Bible nerds or Greek nerds, I'm just going to share with you one little nugget of insight. This is a play on words if you look at it in the original Greek. Um, this would literally be translated as don't treasure the treasures of earth. You can see there's just a slight variation in um, Strong's G 2343 and 2344 for the original Greek. He's really saying it's not about saving for a rainy day. It, this, this message is not about being prepared for uncertain times, but this is a caution. This is a caution that Jesus gives about where we are 
placing our treasures, where our heart is clinging to the things that are important and valuable to us. And he says, be careful if what you're treasuring are the things of earth, the things that are temporal, the things that can be destroyed and that can disappear. He continues to say, our eyes are like windows into our body and they let in either light or they let in darkness. So the things we fix our eyes on, the things that we lust or long after, when we lay our eyes upon something and we say, that's what I have to desire, that's what I have to cling to, that's what I have to hold fast to, be careful. Is that a source of light for your life and your soul? Or will it be a source of darkness? For Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one despising the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus is saying here, you cannot live for. When you serve something, what are you living for? You cannot live wholeheartedly surrendered, sold out to God, and be living for wealth, possessions, status, beauty, fame, all of these things that could fade and be gone in an instant, even health, even longevity, even security of your life. This is all earthly wealth that can vanish in the blink of an eye. So it concerns me you know, as we watch these stories of the wildfires unfold, I think it's telling um, clue to where society is at. How many people resist and, and refuse the evacuation order, refuse assistance, saying, no, I'm going to go down with this ship, this house that I am um, watering with a garden hose is the thing that is my whole life is built around, all my possessions, all my wealth, all, everything I own is in this house. So if it goes, I can't see a reason for living. And they stay, and lives have been lost over this consumption of what the need is to protect and preserve. And I see it in people's lives when they have a crisis of faith. When something that they hold near and dear to them, it could be a person, it could be a career, it could be a dream, and it fades and dissolves. And so quickly they experience a crisis of faith and they're calling out to God, why? Why would you take these good things from me? And I think in these moments where we get angry with God, it's, it's great to be honest, to still take that to him, but also to consider, is this a reflection? Is this a red flag of where our treasure truly was? Were we treasuring the relationship we had with God or were we treasuring the blessings that we felt he owed us or bestowed to us? Be careful where your heart what your heart treasures. Be careful, be mindful that it is consumed and locked into and absorbed with and most passionate about the things that are eternal, the things that will never rust, will never fade, will never dissolve. The treasures that we um, store up in heaven are ourselves 
And we store up treasures in heaven again as we prepare for the end times by being compassionate and caring and serving and showing that God is still love in a world that gets increasingly dark, increasingly hate-filled. We store up treasures in heaven as we um, reflect that beacon of light into a darkening world and say, don't get so anxious. Don't get so obsessed. Don't be so defeated when you lose the things of this world because there is something you can cling to that will never fail. There was something you can cling to that will never be destroyed. And that is the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Isaiah 51 tells us that the moth will eat them up like a garment. The grub will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation is for all generations. There is this theme in Scripture as well that we see Jesus and, and God talking to us about destruction of enemies against his people or destruction um, of the soul within. The enemy within is a far greater worry and concern to Jesus than the threats from without. And more so than, than our fear of wildfires, of this disease, of plagues, of famine, of economic collapse, he's saying, pay attention to what will truly destroy you for eternity. That destruction is what lies deep within our hearts and deep within our souls. And he, he often told the prophets um, to tell people, don't worry about your enemies because I'm going to consume them like a moth consumes a garment. They're literally going to be self-destructing from the inside out because of their choices, because of their treasures, because of their allegiances. But trust in God's righteousness, which remains forever. Take hold of his salvation, which is there for generation upon generation. Same with these looper moths. These looper moths, um, as much as the headlines are saying, don't worry about the looper moths eating your clothes. They're actually eating the forests, which is definitely another problem. But the looper moths are not the culprit. The moths do not eat your clothes. Moths do not eat the foliage. The moth stage of this insect comes at the very end of its lifespan. The actual pest is the grub or the caterpillar. The larval stage of these insects is what we need to worry about most. And you can see in my close-up shot here just how teeny tiny these eggs are that nestle amongst the hemlock um, uh, needles. And it is the grub, which is actually a super wasteful eater, why it is so destructive. This little grub just takes a bite out of the base of a leaf or base of a needle, and the most of that green nutrition falls to the forest floor, and it just has the chomp that was at the base. Extremely wasteful. That's why they're so destructive and so damaging. They are just consuming in their um, life stage as they, um, you know, shed their skin, get to the next larval stage, and they grow and grow. They're just ravenous, and they're consuming everything within their grasp. They're just fueled by this hunger, but it's a destructive hunger. 
However, just like other insects that go through metamorphosis, you know, they go into this cocoon or chrysalis, they completely dissolve their soft bodies. And over time, what we're experiencing now in Vancouver is the emergence of the final adult stage. Actually, these little moths are quite pretty. They're um, white and they've got fine detailing on them. And uh, last night I saw moths that were um, flying and hovering around my street lamp, but I'm not sure if it's because of the smoke in the sky or, you know, the energy-saving light that gives this really golden glow. But the moths that would fly under the lights were reflecting it. They looked like they were glowing embers of ash that were just fluttering and dancing under the street light. And I remember, um, you know, calling Alan saying, like, is this some kind of a, a lightning bug? Is this some kind of a new creature we've never seen here in our cities? And it was when I had a closer look that I realized it was these white moths that were reflecting the light, that were dancing in the light. And this is the metaphor I want us to cling to, right? That Micah says, you don't have to gloat over me, my enemies, which is ultimately Satan, the one whispering, uh, discouraging, deflating, uh, depressing thoughts, you know, that you just feel sick about yourself sometimes, or it's other people's judgments. Micah 7, 8 says, though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I have sat in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Jesus himself promised to be the light of the world, that whoever would follow him would never walk in darkness, but would have the light of life. And Paul tells us that in Christ we are new creatures. So now is the time as we recognize that uh, the end of this planet is nearing, that Jesus is coming back soon. Now is the time for deep self-reflection to know if our hearts are, are set on the treasures of this earth or are we, are we longing for the treasures that will never fade, that will never end, that will be ours for eternity. And that is the embrace of Jesus' arms, to be held by those nail-pierced hands, to be found vindicated um, in our lives, in our identities, in our whole self-being as children of God, as children of the light. Now is the time to say, I once was consumed with things that destroyed me and destroyed others and destroyed the place around me. But now is the time that I'm going to turn my life over to God and become a new creature, one that's going to reflect his light of love, compassion, of grace to others. And I'm inspired to be like that moth that, you know, under its own um, capability, just is a pale cream, pale white moth, just a bug. But when it dances under the light, it glows. It's like a living ember, and it brings a joy. It brings hope um, in a dark, smoky time about a brighter tomorrow, about a better future, and one that may not come in this earthly body, but one that we will enjoy for eternity. As we close out today, um, we're going to sing about that. We're going to sing about how... Um, 
what we can do in these end times more so than preach a doom and gloom doomsday message more so than fear monger is to tell our own personal testimonies is to share what we are experiencing the light the hope the joy we find in Jesus in sharing our testimony that is the greatest way that we prepare for Jesus second coming that we prepare for the end times that will get worse than what we are experiencing right now. But we can face it with confidence um, as we dance in the light of God. Thank you for listening to OAC Vancouver's podcast. Learn more at oacvancouver.ca. If you're in Vancouver, join us for worship Saturdays at 11 a.m. at 5350 Bailey Street. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. God bless you and have a wonderful day.